This morning to begin our lesson, to try to get ourselves in a certain frame of mind, I want you to think about a man by the name of Martin Luther. There are certain events in history, certain scenes in history that I wish somehow or another I could be transported back in time to that particular event when it took place. Or somehow or another through some means that maybe there could be a videotape uh, of this particular scene so I could see it and understand the gravity of the situation and the importance of it. I think most of you are aware of the fact that Martin Luther is known as the father of the Protestant Reformation. And although I do not agree with everything that he taught, and I certainly don't agree with the particular denomination that was formed later on after his name, even though he pleaded with them to never do such a thing, I do agree with the fact that here was a man that was doing his best to stand for Scripture. Here was a man who saw abuses in the Catholic Church and wanted to reform it. And thus he went and he nailed his 95 theses or 95 things that he had a problem with when it came to the abuses of the Catholic Church. Of course, this caused quite a ruckus at this particular point in time as no one had really ever done anything like this before. And so he was called into question. He was called to stand trial. He had to present himself before the Diet of Worms, as it was known. And there the Catholic Church asked him to recount or discount or take back what he said concerning the Catholic Church and the abuses that he saw that it was uh, involved in. And so I want to share with you what his response was. And I wish there was some kind of way that we could be there and be a part of this great moment in history. But notice what his response was when he was asked to back down in his statements that he made. He said, Since then your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scriptures and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand, I can do, I cannot do otherwise. I want us to zero in on that phrase there at the end, where Martin Luther said, here I stand. I think all of us as Christians have an obligation in our lives to make a stand. We as individual Christians need to let people know where we stand on certain things. And certainly as a congregation, we need to make sure that the world knows where we stand on certain things. Now taking a stand is not very popular. Taking a stand sometimes is very hard. 
But yet, I think we as Christians have been commanded by God to take a stand. The passage that Mike read for us from Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to notice that four different times the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to take a stand. We need to take a stand four different times. Notice what he says beginning at verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Folks, Paul reminds us, and we need to be religious in the fact that we need to be people who are willing to take a stand. Now, the lesson this morning is not so much a sermon as it is taking a stand. I think all of us realize the world that we live in today is a very litigious society. That more and more in the political culture in which we stand, that Christianity especially is being attacked on every side. And so it's been suggested by those who are Christian attorneys that we make it very clear where we stand on certain issues. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But first of all, we need to make sure that we understand as we take a stand that Oftentimes, when you do such a thing, that it's going to be unpopular. The world that we live in today, the press, the media, the entertainment business, are doing everything that they can to tear down Christianity. They are doing everything that they can to uh, push a particular liberal type of view. I think you will agree with me, if you watch the news for very long at all, even this morning, you will see that political correctness has run amok. If you make a stand for what is right, people oftentimes will criticize you. If someone who is a professional athlete or someone who is in the public view will say something that is righteous, something that is wholesome, something that is Christian. They are castigated from all sides. And so we are living in a day and age where people are against that which is right and uphold that which is wrong. And because of the political atmosphere that we live in, it's even got to the point now when someone will say something that needs to be said. Somebody will do something that needs to be done. But oftentimes it is the case, the press will turn against him. The government will turn against them. 
Lawyers will line up and they'll say, well, this is not right. You can't speak your mind in this way. And you've hurt that person's feelings. So we're going to try to take you for everything that you got. Those of you who are at least my age and older remember how that many years ago in the state of Oklahoma, there was a church of the Lord's people there where a woman was in a very bad situation as far as her life was concerned. She was living in open adultery, and it was such a situation that it was well known among not only the church, but also the community there in Oklahoma. So finally, the elders of that particular congregation made the decision that they were going to have to withdraw from this woman. And somehow or another, the press got involved. Somehow or another, the country got involved. And it became a big scandal that a church was so unloving, that a church was so mean that they would withdraw from someone. And, of course, the woman sued the congregation. And she based this particular lawsuit on the fact that nobody ever told her that it was wrong to do what she was doing. And it went to court. And the lady won. She won a large sum of money that the church had to pay. Now, here's the neat thing that happened. It eventually ended up in an appellate court, and an appellate court turned it over. But my point is simply this. That happened a long time ago. Today is happening more and more. In fact, Chattanooga, Tennessee, just recently, there was something that came up because someone corrected a situation that needed to be corrected. And all the press got so excited about it. How can you do such a thing? How can you be such a person toward them? Oh, that's just not politically correct. And so we have been advised on numerous occasions that it is important from time to time, and we've done this in the past, but from time to time we need to make sure that we let the world know where this particular congregation stands on certain issues so that nobody will have any doubt. Nobody can say, well, you don't have it on record anywhere because we will have it on record where we stand. Let me give you a scenario that could very easily happen here in this congregation. A man comes to services, becomes a member here, and after the elders talk to him, he Let's us know that he, of course, is a member of the Lord's body and wants to be involved in the work of the church here. And he becomes very involved in the work of the church. Everybody knows him, and, and he's an active member. But lo and behold, a little bit later on, he starts telling people that he's an open-practicing homosexual. Just very blatant about it. And the church decides something needs to be done. The man will not repent. The man will not change. And finally, the elders make the decision that he needs to be uh, withdrawn from. And he turns around and sues the church because he says, Well, I didn't know you had such a policy. More and more people and churches are being sued just simply because they are willing to take a stand. And so, as I said, the purpose of this lesson this morning is to let you know where we stand as a congregation. And I've already talked to Michael about this, who does our recording, and I've asked him, as he is 
he does such a wonderful job of taking our lessons and putting them on CDs and tape cassettes. He also puts them on um, on uh, iTunes, and but he also keeps some on the website. He can't put all of them on there that we have here because there's not enough bandwidth, not enough storage space. But uh, I have asked him to make sure he keeps a copy of this lesson on our website, not because it's going to be that particularly good of a lesson, but in case something ever comes up down through the years, that we'll be able to point to that and say we have very publicly stated where we stand on certain issues, just in case, God forbid, that down through the years, because we take a stand on what is scriptural and what is right, someone will try to attack the church, either in a lawsuit or either by our own hard to believe, our own federal government. But first of all this morning, I want you to think about the fact that we are opposed to abortion. We do not believe that abortion is something that people should be practicing. We as a congregation stand up against that. Of course, we are told in the world today that it's a woman's choice. Oftentimes, I believe, is simply nothing more than a choice of convenience. But folks, we in this congregation, and I as your gospel preacher, is unabashed in proclaiming that abortion is murder. Abortion is the killing of the innocent, the killing of the unborn. And therefore, I'm willing to take a stand, and I want this congregation to be willing to take a stand and say that is not right. Even if the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, rules that it is legally acceptable, that still doesn't make it right. But instead, it puts the Supreme Court on the same grounds as Pharaoh who wanted to kill the Hebrew boys. It puts them on the same ground as Herod as he wanted to kill those boys of Bethlehem. It puts them on the same ground as Hitler as he killed millions. When you kill the innocent unborn, there's no other way to call it but just simply murder. And I'm not here to argue the issue with anyone this morning, but I want to make sure that this congregation knows and the world knows and the federal government knows that this is where we stand. But I also want you to think about this. We stand opposed to sex outside the confines of marriage. More and more it is the norm that young people will be involved in sexual relationships before they are married. More and more there's the idea, and it's considered normal by the outside world, that uh, people can uh, cohabitate, cohabitate, can live together without the realm of marriage. But folks, we need to make sure that we understand that the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 that marriage is honorable for all and that the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, if you want to engage in a God-given gift of sexual intercourse, it needs to be in the confines of marriage. That is where we stand. But speaking of marriage, I want to make sure that everyone understands without a doubt that this particular congregation holds that marriage is for life and that divorce and remarriage to another without scriptural cause is adultery. Many times 
I've stood before a young couple, and sure Smitty has, and Chuck, and others. Many times a preacher will stand before a couple, and they make the pledge, they make the vow, they make the promise that we are going to stay together till death do us part. But somehow or another, down the road, because things aren't exactly the way that we think that they should be, somehow or another we can break that vow. We can break that promise that we made before all those witnesses. But more importantly, somehow or another we think we can break that vow that we have made before God. Oftentimes at the end of a marriage ceremony, I will quote Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6, the latter part of it which simply says this, What God hath put together, let no man put asunder. In other words, when God has combined two people together, as far as God is concerned, that is for life. And if God puts it together, as Jesus says, there better not be a man who will put it asunder or tear it up. And therefore, we believe exactly as Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 says, that whosoever divorces his wife or puts away his wife and marries another, except it be for the cause of fornication, that person commits adultery. Now, once again, I'm not going to get into a long sermon on this today, but we need to make sure that everyone understands that this is where we stand as a congregation. But also, I think we need to be very clear that we condemn the practice of homosexuality. Folks, this is such a hot political issue now. And if there ever was an issue that is going to take away our religious freedom, it's going to be this particular social issue. Let me paint the scenario that probably is going to happen in this country, probably even in my lifetime, if things don't change, if people don't take a greater stand for that which is good and right. In a lot of states already, gay marriage has been accepted and it is by law. And so that has been done, but let me tell you what the next step is going to be when it comes to churches. The next step will be there will be some type of law passed, maybe federal, maybe statewide, that says if you do not accept practicing homosexuals in your congregation, you're going to lose your tax-exempt status. That would be one way where they'll try to make sure that a church agrees to their particular liberal point of view. They'll say, well, you'll lose your tax-exempt status. And for those of you who don't understand, a church that operates as a church does not have to pay taxes on, on far as property or that type of thing. Now, we pay some property taxes because we own some land that we're not using and we have a building that we're not occupying. But my point is simply this. That's the way that they'll try to get us next. But then the final solution will be, and I, and I hate to say this, but unless the Lord comes back or something changes, the final solution will be they will pass a law forbidding churches to operate unless they will let homosexuals be a part of that congregation. Folks, that's just facts. Never would I have dreamed, you know, even 10 years ago, 
that gay marriage would be accepted in this particular country. Several years ago, there was a preacher by the name of F. Lagarde Smith who wrote a book about homosexuality and about accepting it in the realm of marriage. And the title of his book was entitled Sodom's Second Coming. And basically what he puts forth in that book was if gay marriage was ever accepted in the United States, then that would start a cavalcade, a cascading of how that everything that we knew as far as the way that the government looked at churches was going to change. But I want to make sure that the world understands. I want to make sure that our state government understands. And I want to make sure our federal government understands that this is where we stand. We are opposed to homosexuality. We believe what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. We believe what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. We believe that homosexuality in its practice is a sin. But also, we need to make sure that we put it on record. That we believe that the Bible teaches that women have no scriptural authority to usurp the authority of men in the church. Folks, this is an issue that is ravishing some of the mainstream denominations today been a practice for many years. They understood what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, how that a woman has no right to usurp authority over man in a church. Now, when we say that, we don't mean that women are less than men, that women are less talented than men. In fact, I know a lot of women are a whole lot more talented than I am. But it's what God has decided that the hierarchy of the church is. And once again, we're not here to preach a lesson on it or to argue the point. But we want to make sure that the world understands that this is where we stand and we don't have a problem with it in this particular congregation because we hold the Bible to be true and we're going to do what the Bible says is true. Folks, as I said, this really wasn't a sermon today. It was more of a proclamation so that everyone that has the opportunity to go back and look at the records of this congregation. I, of course, have the sermon in print. It will be an audio version that will be able for people to to go back and look at it, but there will be no doubt where we stand on these particular issues. Now, as it is oftentimes the case when uh, a preacher gets up and he starts condemning certain types of sin, that people take it personally like we are attacking the person. Folks, we're not attacking the person. We're attacking the practice. It truly is the old colloquialism that we love the sinner but hate the sin. And regardless of what we may do in life, whether we even are even involved in some of these, that the Bible is very clear that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that if we are willing to turn to Him, that we can be forgiven of these very things that we've talked about this morning. And so it's never the end. If there's still a heart that can be melted, there's still an opportunity to be saved. But yet still, the world needs to know where we stand. And let me add this. Just because we are not guilty, as we sit in our chairs today, of these very sins, that never ever gives us the the right to be self-righteous. Because sin is sin, folks. 
And whether it be something that is a hot political issue, whether it be something that uh, because of its particular sin there are greater consequences involved, we never have the right to be self-righteous. But we need to always be reminded of the fact of those words that says, there by the grace of God go I. Because it's only by the grace of God that each and every one of us can be saved. It's only our hope in Jesus Christ can save us. So we never want to put a burden upon the innocent. We never want to treat someone in a despicable way because they are guilty of sin. Because if we will look at our own lives, we will realize that we are not everything that we need to be. But once again, for the sake of emphasis, I want everyone that will ever hear my voice on this particular audio recording understand that this is where we stand as a congregation. We are opposed to abortion. We stand opposed to sex outside the confines of marriage. We hold that marriage is for life and that divorce and remarriage to another without scriptural cause is adultery. We condemn the practice of homosexuality. We believe the Bible teaches that women have no scriptural authority to usurp the authority of men in the church. Many Christian lawyers have said that this is one of the best things that we can do one of the best protections that we can have. So I appreciate the fact that you have allowed me to do this this morning. But even though, as I said, it's not really a sermon, I think perhaps some things that were truth were said today. And we hope that everyone will do a reflection upon their own lives. And if there is any need today, any sin that needs to be repented of, any turning to Jesus Christ that needs to take place, whether it be someone who is not a Christian, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their repentance and their willing to confess that He is Lord and their willingness to be baptized for the remission of their sins. There may be someone here today that needs to do that. We want you to come. Or there may be someone else that needs the prayers of the church or needs some other help that we can help them with. As your spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, we want you to come. But we don't want you to leave here today without understanding where we stand as a congregation. And I hope this will strengthen all of our resolves on an individual basis to make sure the world knows where we stand. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?